Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we are welcoming back Brenda Thompson, the GME pundit. The first time we've had someone on the show twice. So this is going to be great. There's some new material to go over, especially for students and residents and how to prepare the complicated graduate medical education world. So Brenda Thompson, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And this time I'm talking about my new book and it's really for everybody, for med students to residents and for those that have even graduated. So yeah, definitely check it out. And I think we'll cover some topics of that in the moment, but especially with so much changing in GME and the pandemics caused a lot of changes and really curious to get updates for the audience from, you know, based on your last interview and just some general points of wisdom that they can all learn from. Since you've been in GME for many, many years, you've worked in many different departments, correct? If you could maybe refresh my memory as well and let the audience know, what is your history in GME again? So I've worked in the GME community for 10 years and I've had a variety of roles, but mostly I've worked in the GME office or you can call it sponsoring institution like ACGME would. And I've worked with accreditation. So ACGME will come down and do an audit of the fellowship or the residency, but we would want to catch any deficiencies first. So in-house. So ACGME will do it to cite you and to possibly put you on probation or, you know, even closure, unfortunately. We want to get there first. We do mock visits and we decide, you know, okay, is this meeting ACGME standards? Because again, the whole idea is to build a strong GME community and build strong residents. So we have to make sure that the curriculum that's being received by the trainees are on par with ACGME standards. Yes, which is also why students might benefit from this knowledge, because knowing what the residency directors and residency program have to look at in order to be or maintain their ACGME certification is very important. It can help guide students into just the process and know what to expect a little bit better. For sure. And medical students, they don't know what part they will play when they become a resident. And we all have a part in it. Every resident has a part in it, every fellow, every program administration person and every program director, we all have a part in it. So when you medical students become a resident, you will have certain deadlines you will have to meet. You will have certain things that you will have to do for accreditation standards. And it's serious because if you don't, that means ACGME can do a site visit at any time. And then the repercussions could be a possible site closure or be put on probation and nobody wants either. Very true. Well, to go into more details about those, I would suggest to the audience to check out the first episode with Brenda Thompson. We really covered that in much more detail. There's a lot of valuable information to get there. And, you know, we kind of, I skipped over something important here. I wanted to ask you the icebreaker question for this season, just how are you changing medicine or medical education for the better? So my whole philosophy is transparency. And I feel like the residents don't have all the transparency that they should have, especially at the beginning of their residency. 
So I think the whole process in terms of med students transitioning into residencies needs to be um, far greater in depth than what we have. And that can even be speaking about the recruitment process. I think there's a lot of uncertainty how something like that happens. Like med students only see their end, which is what their application says. They have no idea what happens once the application is being viewed, what that process looks like to get an interview, who's all involved, what's involved with the whole matching process. And then when you do become a resident, it's like, I don't think there are enough programs that are making sure that the residents are feeling connected to the program itself. And I think that's a loss on the GME community side because we don't ever want to get a disconnected resident. We want them to be connected. And because there is a physician shortage, you know, these residency programs, these employers, so wherever you're at, they could be like, okay, let's see who we have in our own candidate pool that we would want to ask to stay on to be an employee with us. So to make sure that the resident is successful for all endeavors that they're going to be going through, whether it's within their program or rotating in other departments, and then you know moving on to actually becoming that full-fledged physician, there's a lot of information that they're missing to do that because we're not providing that. And so some things in this book will help close those gaps. So for example, when you do become a resident, I take you through what a SWOT analysis is. It's important that residents understand they are always being evaluated. And it's not just the individuals who are evaluating through the you know, new innovations or MedHub residency database. You're being evaluated in other areas. So it's kind of like, okay, med students, do you know what a SWOT analysis is? If not, you'd want to learn it before you become a resident. Your reputation as a physician starts day one when you get into residency. So put that out there, like make sure that you realize that you're always demonstrating your best professional self. You're building your reputation. You're building your brand identity of who you are as a physician. So make sure it's most successful at day one. Gotcha. And you're talking about like the business SWOT analysis, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, correct? Correct. So when residents have to get evaluated on that rotation, they're being evaluated per the different six competencies that ACGME mandates. With every competency, there are milestones, and then there are examples of those milestones. And every program should be giving every resident per PGI year a copy of the milestones per rotation and say, this is what PGI one level for how this should be met. There'll be different categories, you know, saying if you do not meet the standards, if you do meet the standards, if you excel the standards, et cetera. So they should be, programs should be going over that. Now, do they really? Not necessarily. It might be in the handbook, but I often ask these residents who I educate later on saying, okay, what is the SWOT analysis? Tell me, how do you know that you're being evaluated and what's the, the method that they evaluate you on? They have no idea. They have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, what do you mean? SWAT. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so no matter where you are as a resident, if you're in your home program, if you're in a different department, if you're rotating elsewhere, et cetera, they're going to be doing a SWAT, a strengths analysis, weakness analysis, opportunities analysis, and threat analysis. So be mindful of the positive critiquing coming your way. That happens at day one, but 
I like to always say just because someone's not filling out an evaluation doesn't mean that you're not getting a SWOT analysis done. There are other means to which different individuals like directors, like maybe the nursing director is going into different meetings and giving a roundabout account of what it was like working with those residents and fellows of a certain program. So just be mindful. And I'm curious with the six ACGME requirements, how does that compare to something like core EPA? Is that something I hear a lot more about now? I've been trying to find someone to discuss it on the show, but it doesn't seem to be something that a lot of people are very literate on, I guess, and I'm not either. So I'm wondering if you know much about it, if it's very similar in any ways, because that's a AMC, you know, teachings core. What is it? Core EPAs is the entrusted professional activities. <laughs> yeah, I'm not familiar with that. I know a lot of sponsoring institutions do what's called GME core, and they are able to get their core curriculum from such as AMA and other places. And that can be different for each institution. But for example, like cultural studies, that would be a core that the institution would want someone to learn. Appropriate communication and sensitive topics, that would be a core that the institution would want a resident to learn. So ACGME has six core competencies like patient safety, communication, professionalism, system-based practices, et cetera, et cetera. And that's more like per rotation. But the common core that I believe you're getting at is more for institutions, a sponsoring institution, or you can say just GME office to make it simpler. They're saying, you know, we need to have other education. And I know, for example, like bedside teaching is usually one of those common cores that hospitals give during incoming orientation. Some institutions, and I've worked at an institution who did a core curriculum, and I think that's what AMA is trying to sell. Got it. And for the audience, this might be the first time they're hearing about the six core competencies or about these core EPAs and all of these different terminologies. So I think that's kind of to your point that if it's the first time hearing about it, it's probably way later than it should be. You're right. And, you know, we get into that topic of, well, whose duty is it to teach these med students coming in? Well, honestly, I don't think it's the med school. The med school is there to teach them subject matter. So when they transition into residency, I think, again, we're missing an opportunity to really help build our GME to be successful and our residents to be successful. Give them the education and the tools at the very beginning. So for example, for a residency, most programs will have like a day or two, if not longer, for incoming orientation. So they're training them. These are our policies. This is what our student handbook looks like, you know, student handbook, which would be called resident handbook. You know, this is where you go to get this done. You know, this is where you get your coats. This is where you dry clean your coats. Like they're showing them and teaching them the run of the mill. And then with the hospital and GME orientation, that usually starts a week prior to June 1st. And again, they're going over the same thing, but for the sponsoring institution. So ACGME says to the sponsoring institution, again, GME office, you have to train the residents and fellows on policies and procedures and everything else that we mandate the sponsoring institution to demonstrate to them. Okay, great. So we have an orientation that's about five days long. And then the program themselves are in charge with being program specific. So now there's program specific policies that they're teaching the residents on. So it's like two different sets of information. 
that are both very important, but we need to have some room in there to go over the basics. Like what you're saying, the six common core competencies, that's a requirement by ACGME. So we need to teach them day one. That's also what the milestones are based off. And then of course, you've got professional skills, communication skills, collaboration skills, maturity, discipline, maturity emotionally, maturity spirituality-wise. These are some basic traits, unfortunately, are not so adapt by the med students coming in because as a society, we've asked med students, get an education. You're going for school for so many years. And then the work that you're able to do is more so volunteering. So that's not to say you don't have work experience, but when you're an employee, you're going to be treated differently than when you are a volunteer. So you might not have a lot of conflict situations that you've been in. So therefore you don't know how to resolve conflict. You might not have a lot of collaboration skills. And in being working in healthcare as a resident and then as a doctor, you're going to be working with different departments, with different physicians of different departments, also different staff members, not just from your own department, but from other departments. So it's really important to build on these skills. And so now ACGME is saying, okay, well, we're going to look at your professionalism. We're going to look at your interpersonal and communication skills. That makes up part of the six common core competencies. And again, this is what you're going to be evaluated on after every rotation. So it's really important that we help the med students come up to par to where they need to be professionally. You don't have a lot of professional experience. That's understandable. I don't think it's the med student's job to teach you that. I think it's going to be residency because that is part of your training. You're getting an education still, but you're also doing your training. So that's the work situation. I really do believe it's going to fall on the GME community to do that. Do you know students looking for a clinical rotation outside of their school's network? Students can reach out to preceptors nationwide and schedule their own rotations. You can even refer a friend and earn credit towards your future rotations. Go to findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. I was just speaking to a program director the other day that said they have transferred their usual one-week orientation to now being a three-week orientation. I don't remember where this was uh, at the moment, but wow, that's three times what it normally was. That's pretty intensive. So I wonder what sort of extracurriculars, extra activities they're implementing, and if this is a trend that other schools might have to follow as well, or other residency programs. Listen, it's definitely going to be a trend that I think everywhere is going to have to follow. And I mean, absolutely no disrespect towards any of your listeners, but we know as a society, year after year, you know, when the generation gets younger and younger, so too do some of their attributes. They're not well-developed yet. 20 years prior to me graduating from school, they were more well-adapted and equipped to go into the workforce. It's just a fact that happens in society. So, you know, like I said, we demand so much education time and then go out and volunteer your time. You're not getting the attributes well-developed for what you need. So, you know, you might have an experience as a med student seeing your first patient pass away. That's hard, but not every med student does. They might see that during residency. How do they deal with that? We don't teach med students how to deal with that. 
they go into a residency and then they experience all these first and we, it's almost like we don't even help them guide them. So why don't we be proactive? And this is what my book is trying to do. Let's all be proactive in the GME community, educate and help and guide these students that are transitioning to residency at the very start. So they have the best chance to be successful. And what med students don't necessarily understand right now is that the metrics for when you do become a physician are all tied to patient evaluations. So how you treat your patient, what they see, and believe me, they have eyes and ears in the front of them, in the back of them. They will be evaluating you so closely. And then those metrics from the surveys will determine your pay performance metrics. So how you get paid is going to be tied into patient safety evaluations. So get started now on constantly monitoring your self-awareness, your speech, your behavior, your patterns, because everybody in healthcare, especially all physicians, the pay really does depend on the interactions that these patients are receiving. And I worked for a state-run hospital, and this was one of the largest for having ACGME fellowships and residencies. And we hadn't gotten a pay raise in five years because the patient safety evaluations that were coming back, and again, this is direct from patients, weren't meeting the metrics to where we were allowed to have raises. So this is all tied into Medicare, Medicaid. I mean, it's not its own hospital saying, okay, these are the metrics you have to meet. And if you do, we'll give you a raise. No, this is all tied into government because government refunds hospitals. So that's interesting. And also kind of brings up the topic of some of the direct primary care and other types of clinics that are trying to kind of get away from the insurance model and the Medicaid, Medicare model. I suppose for them, it would be completely different, but either way, they're still going to have to go through the residency program where this is still a very valid payment model and knowing more about it ahead of time can only help you and the program do better and improve. Absolutely. A lot of hospitals are now moving in clinics are moving to behavioral model. So what does that mean? Well, that means your behavior is going to be put on the spotlight. So when you go on to get a position like a full-fledged physician position, they ask you a lot of behavioral interview questions. And this is new. This is like really new to students who are going into residency because you are asked very brief questions and it's more personal questions when you're going to get you know, a residency slot, right? But then it all changes when you go to get a full-fledged physician position. It really gets more in depth and they really want to know like, there's a whole technique of how you interview and they really want to know the situation. They want to know what went wrong. They want to know how you corrected it. It's all solution-based type of question based on behavior patterns. So that's not something med students are taught. Why would they be? They're taught subject matter of diseases. You know what I mean? But who teaches on the business side? They're going to need to know this. And not a lot of residency programs are doing this yet. So then I have to ask, what are some of the traits and goals that these incoming residents, these med students that are about to go into residency should really be focusing on, especially considering all the changes happening in GME? 
Sure. Well, it's, it's kind of what I had mentioned before. Like they really want to make sure they're self-aware and they're always catching their speech. I think a lot of people today have this mindset of where they listen to come up with an answer to get themselves out of trouble. So what you see is a lot of rebuttals. So with an attending, an attending might say, you know, this could be better. You should be doing this next time. And mind you, their whole goal is to make you become a better and stronger physician. So you're always going to be critiqued, but you need to take it in a positive way. And there's this mindset when the generation just gets younger and younger and younger, like I said before, their professional attributes are less developed. That's just how it's been throughout society. So I'm not pinpointing med students, but since we're talking about med students, it becomes to where they take offense and they're saying, no, 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 you know, you're now a resident. We're here to do a SWOT analysis of you, of your skills, of your medical knowledge, of your behavior, your professionalism, because we need to develop it to make it the best it can be so you can present yourself as in the professional identity that you want. So you can go ahead and start, you know, your referral basis. Every opportunity is a chance to get referrals. So really watch your tone of language, really watch your maturity level with your communication, really watch your self-discipline. And I know that can be hard for some people because like I said, we listen to have a rebuttal, but you need to listen to understand what the attending or whomever it is, is trying to educate you on and which is going to be on something to do with improvement and take it with strives, be mature about it. And I think it all comes down to maturity. We, we see lack of maturity in not just communication, but spiritually. And I'll give you an example. I was working in a program and, you know, a resident was just going through the trenches. It's a really busy hospital. And you kind of, I get, I call it compassion fatigue. You get compassion fatigue where it's like the same thing every day and you become less sensitive to it. Well, he rudely had said to a family, your husband had died. And it was that matter of fact, your husband had died. There was no emotion or sensitivity in the delivery of that unfortunate news that that family had to receive. Of course, the family complained. I mean, of course they're grieving and of course they're going to be angry. And of course they're going to now take it out on the person who was just so insensitive with delivering that info. And so that's the type of things that we're kind of seeing that we need to get corrected. And so it's an opportunity, I think, for individuals to be self-aware. And if you need to take a moment, if you need to take that three-second rule and be like, okay, this is what I'm presenting. This is who I'm presenting to consciously be aware of how you want to deliver that message, do it. There's no rule saying you can't take a three-second breather to formulate your delivery in your mind before you actually say it. So again, I think the bottom line is it comes down to maturity, but maturity and different things from communication to collaboration to discipline to maturity and spirituality, maturity and emotions, et cetera. Well, maybe that would be a good place to sort of finish up this episode on is we've covered some of the problems and the ability to self-assess or receive assessment from someone else via SWOT analysis or some other tool. What are some actual techniques for improving this? Some ways that a learner listening to this or even a physician listening to this episode can walk away with some actionable tips? So the one thing that I say is that if you don't have enough collaboration experience, therefore you won't have enough conflict experience and how to resolve it. 
that really is a case by case trial and error learning experience. But go on to like YouTube videos and Google how to mitigate conflict. Have the awareness before you get yourself in that situation. And it really is about being self aware about what your emotions are to whatever conversation is going on, because everything stems from the emotions. So, again, this comes down to discipline. Be disciplined in your emotions. Do a three-second break. So before you react, think about how you're going to react, what you're going to say. But understand the method of what somebody's doing. So if you're working with an attending and they're critiquing you, and so all you're hearing is you're doing this wrong and that wrong and this wrong and that wrong, sure, that could get you, you know, somewhat upset, but it's for the goal. Think of what the goal is. And the goal is to make you a better doctor. So you have to do the work yourself and think, okay, this is positive. I'm being told what my weakness is. That's great. Now I have an opportunity to improve it. So before I go out into the field, I'm not going to lose any clients because I didn't catch this before. So look at everything as an opportunity. A lot of it is all about mindset. But again, I get it that it's new. So just take that three second break and formulate how you want to deliver your responses. And there's nothing wrong with that. Another thing you can do is I always say you have to have a means to unload your day-to-day stressors. So I think it's great that we teach physicians to have resilience, but at some point that's going to burst. You can't, you know, stretch a rubber band so far before it breaks. So you got to do what you need to do to unrelease unhealthy burdens, stresses, traumas that's carrying you down. Whether you do it every day, every week, every month, that's up to you. Some people will meditate. Some people need something more vigorous, like a good kickboxing energy type of workout. Some people listen to, you know, some music. There's something called venereal beat music, and that can switch your brain waves. And so maybe you want to do that. Maybe you need to calm down, or maybe you need to fall asleep. That's a hack that will help you. Or maybe you need to have some like aromatherapy diffusers to calm you, or opposite to give you more energy. Maybe you're working a long day. You can have some eucalyptus aromatherapy diffusers in your pocket or whatnot, or in your call room to really make sure that you're energized. So that's just a few examples. I do have a lot more in the book, but I really promote that having a healthy outlet and whatever that works for you, however that works, whenever that works, do that at the very first year in residency to make sure that you've got this healthy outlook for the rest of your years in residency. Got it. Yeah, the self-care aspect is definitely overlooked by most students and physicians and very important, especially to maintain your energy, your sanity, and resilience. So very good there. Where can the audience find out more about your book and the title and all of that information? So my book is going to be launched probably the first week of June. It's in the editing phase now, but it will be available on Amazon, Kindle, as well as paperback. And the book is called Graduate Medical Education, Rethink, Reclaim, Redesign, Recreate, A Memoir in a Call to Action. So it's a memoir because I do go over my personal experiences, but I put the spotlight on what the barriers are in the industry. And it's not a spotlight in any institution that I worked at or any program that I worked with in the past. But yeah, my LinkedIn will always have the latest information. And once it does go live on Amazon, my LinkedIn will have the link to it. Got it. 
and this will most likely air after your publication date so the audience should be able to go right there we'll try to update the links as we go along as well brenda thompson thank you so much for coming back on the show thank you i love being here the rounds to residency podcast is powered by med school coach to access med school coach services like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.